Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. You're headed into work or you got to move on with your day, can't stay with us this hour, you can always hear today's full edition of Detroit Today on our Detroit Today podcast. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts and download and subscribe to Detroit Today. And you can listen to us whenever or wherever you like. Hurricane Harvey's devastation this week has reminded us of a few things. That Mother Nature relents for no person and no political agenda. That water is both a driving and a destructive force in human existence. And Harvey reminds us that we are all, all of us, vulnerable to natural and man-made disasters, no matter how we plan or prepare. We're going to spend this hour talking about our readiness here in Southeast Michigan for major weather events, something that, in my opinion at least, is happening more frequently. Think of the intense storms that we see, usually in the summertime. Think of the flooding that we have experienced in the last few years being more intense. Later in the program, we're going to talk to a couple of environmental reporters about how climate change and the Great Lakes play into the rainfall and flooding that we are continuing to see here. And we'll talk to Senator Debbie Stabenow about how the federal government is approaching massive natural disaster prevention and relief. But first, to talk to us about this kind of infrastructure issue that surrounds the flooding and the weather and all of the things that inconvenience us is Mark Van Port Fleet. He is the Deputy Director and Chief Operations Officer of the Michigan Department of Transportation. Mark, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Yeah. So, so there's no question that what we're seeing in Houston is very different from what we see here in Michigan. We don't have hurricanes, obviously. But as I said in the open, we do see extreme weather events in Michigan. And I think we are seeing them with a little more frequency than we used to. There are consequences for those events, and a lot of them have to do with our infrastructure. Tell us sort of how the Michigan Department of Transportation sort of sees our infrastructure position. What's our posture with regard to dealing with these weather events? So like everything, there's kind of not a one-size-fits-all approach. So Michigan's approach is going to be different than maybe some of our peer states. So we have to look at it individually. It, it is clear that extreme events are happening. And so extreme events in Michigan can come in a variety of ways. Certainly, we've had uh, some significant rainfall events, nothing like what's going on uh, down in Texas. Uh, but we also have had extreme snow events. Uh, we have not been hit by fire or mudslides or other uh, uh, consequences of some of these events. But we are looking to uh, take a holistic approach. So one of the things we're trying to do is, is do somewhat of a vulnerability assessment. So are there parts of the state that have a higher risk for whatever reason, for geography, for uh, soil conditions, where uh, water runs off faster. If you look at the urban areas in particular, it's not a surprise that uh, a rainfall event of one kind would result in a lot of runoff because a significant portion of the urban area is, is uh, developed uh, and therefore doesn't allow, uh, in some cases, the water to, to seep into the ground. And so holistically, one of the things we're doing is, is, is so 
where are our risks? As you know, uh, Michigan's infrastructure is uh, aged in many locations. We had the first of many things, which means our, our facilities, including our culverts, uh, sewers, bridges, uh, pumping stations uh, are of a vintage age that were designed according to the parameters at that time. So we have to go back and look. So when we do a reconstruction, uh, we certainly look to update those projects as best we can to the current standards. And current standards also includes uh, some kind of evaluation of how that's changed over time. So uh, the amount of rain that would be associated with a what a 24-year storm of, or 20, uh, excuse me, 100-year storm event. Uh, is different now than it was maybe 20 years ago. And so some evaluation of that increase that you just talked about is part of the way that we do business. But it costs a significant amount of money uh, to deal with underground structures in particular. And so we have to make good strategic d decisions about where we place our money and what the risks are. Uh, so in southeast Michigan, uh, one of the unique things that we do have down there is we have depressed freeways that don't exist in a variety of locations. Yes. So that creates unique things. So, so let's talk about what happened this week in Southeast Michigan, which I think fits right into the narrative that you are, are laying out for us <clears throat> right now. We had some flooding here in Southeast Michigan, and my understanding that it was because of an infrastructure failure. It was not because of the intensity of the storm. We didn't have that much rain, but we did have flooding. Talk about what happened. Well, we did have a power outage. And so one of the things that does happen is, is that if you have a system that relies on electricity to actually run the pumps that gets the water out of there, it, it is uh, something that's going to cause a backup. We do have, in some cases, we do have uh, dual feed electrical service to some of our pump, st pump stations, which then would revert to a secondary source. In this particular case, there was a backup generator that was brought in. Uh, but but that wasn't the only issue. Uh, one of the issues that we are dealing with aggressively is making sure that we uh, have uh, gone after the maintenance activities, are the catch basins cleaned out, are the sewers cleaned out, but a significant issue is debris. Uh, we have catch basins that, that uh, are the access point for the water getting into these systems, and when trash, uh, bags, other debris gets on top of those, it's important for us to keep as much as we can, those clean and free of debris uh, so that the water actually can get in the system. Because sometimes the system is running full and the, all the pumps and the pump stations are working. It's just the water's not getting to the system. And, and it's hard to keep up on that uh, across all of your systems. So we, are, we have increased our funding level to do that. And we are continuing to uh, pursue uh, uh, looking at those things that we can do that minimize the risk of, of system failure. Right, right. But like everything, they are not fail-safe. They it's, are not, just, and and there's nothing you can do to, to make sure 100% of the time that we don't have flooding. But before I let you go, talk about some of the things that you think we most desperately need to invest in now, the things that are just right on that edge of of failing us, uh, That that if we were to see really intense storms in any more frequency that we would start to pay a real price for. And I think strategically we have to look at those vulnerable locations. Where are the locations that have the highest potential of, of not just extreme events, because we can't predict those to happen, but where uh, the consequences may be greater. Right. And so we're looking at where, where the harm would be. And sometimes you can invest 
in a brand new bridge somewhere, but just downstream of that bridge is a little tiny culvert on somebody's driveway. We've invested in that bridge, but yet the same result in flooding is going to happen because of some other resource. But we are investing in some of the electronic systems to monitor our pump stations. We have cameras. We have electronic systems. We can tell if all pumps are running uh, in the pump station, then it's some other cause as to why the roadway is flooding. And, and our strategic direction would be different. We would send our resources to look for other things, hopefully clear whatever's causing the problem in these depressed areas, uh, and certainly in the metro area, uh, faster because we know one of the causes is not that the pump station is not working. It's coming from some other reason. Yeah. Okay. Mark Van Port, Fleet Deputy Director and Chief Chief Operations Officer of the Michigan Department of Transportation. Thanks very much for being here on Detroit Today. You're welcome. All right. We've heard from that, the Michigan Department of Transportation about how our infrastructure plays into how we're affected by major weather events. Now, let's talk about how our local departments coordinate immediately after disasters. Joining us to talk about that is Chief Greg Flynn of the West Bloomfield Fire Department and also Tad Sturdivant of the Wayne. He's the Wayne County Director of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. Tad and Chief Flynn, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, Chief Flynn, let's start with you. Um, uh, first responders, uh, th- th- they're right on the front lines, and we see that right now in Texas in a really dramatic uh, story that is that is playing out. Talk about how that plays out here, for instance, when some of these intense storms that we are starting to see come and, and hit us hard. Well, let me start by uh, just expressing on behalf of all the first responders here in Michigan, our our hearts and uh, prayers are going out to those responders and and those citizens that they're responding to uh, in the great state of Texas. Um, When we look at uh, these types of events, first of all, you know, as we were kind of sizing this up, we talk about after the event. I want you to know that uh, all of your local first responders are preparing for these things pre-event. So we try to forecast and predict what may be coming our way and prepare ourselves for those things and and start to put plans in place and and caches of equipment that will be available and uh, to us to respond to the needs for when when that disaster, that storm strikes at 2 o'clock in the morning or 2 o'clock in the afternoon because those two approaches are going to be different. Yeah. Uh, And and there's also a difference between the way we deal with these things here in Michigan and we do in places like Texas. Talk about some of those differences. Well, just environmentally, you know, the the types of things that we experience, and we're very fortunate that uh, we don't necessarily, you know, we get that strong, the hurricane response or things if you move to the West Coast with with earthquakes. Um, Most of what we're dealing with here uh, locally in southeastern Michigan is weather related in the sense just a great deal of rain that can take out some of the transportation pathways, um, do some localized flooding, but not necessarily the flooding. It would maybe just a few exceptions that we're seeing the depth of water and the geographic region of, of the water spread like they're seeing in Texas. You know, we're very fortunate that through our mutual aid groups, which uh, no one emergency set of first responders are going to be handle be able to handle a situation like that. So we form these mutual aid groups, and so neighboring departments make agreements to say, hey, if if 
my community gets hit very hard by this weather event, these surrounding communities are going to help support my emergency responders. And because we know it's going to take a team of, of, of communities to bring that one community up. And so that's what we do. We put these mutual aid agreements into uh, into effect and we're able to now instead of just mobilizing the 24 firefighters in west bloomfield on any given day we're able to bring in hundreds of first responders trained in ems and and technical rescue from the the tri-county area and even further as we look into the michigan urban search and rescue team michigan task force one and these tiers of county and state uh, levels of, of teams that we can initiate and bring into our communities uh, Ted Sturdivant, you are the director of the Wayne County Homeland Security and Emergency Management. Talk about sort of the worst case scenarios that you guys think about when you're training, when you're thinking about planning for uh, disaster relief. What are the things that you, I guess, you fear the most here in Southeast Michigan? Well, first of all, good morning and good morning to your guests. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Um, the majority of my job is spent planning for worst-case scenarios. In emergency management and homeland security, uh, most people often uh, think in terms of terrorist-type events. But here in my office and in southeast Michigan, we're more apt to be hit with inclement weather than a potential terrorist event. So worst-case scenarios uh, in our exercises that, uh, that we do are typically tornado-type uh, driven, uh, followed by some sort of power outage, which could create a particular flood. What we've learned um, in our line of business is that uh, you have to be able to plan well in advance and have plans well in advance of a particular emergency. So in my office, we coordinate uh, major exercises, not only in Wayne County, but with our regional partners, because what we found is that if an emergency should exist, we would have a regional-type response, and that typically one jurisdiction's resources would be overwhelmed rapidly, and we would have to be able to coordinate responses uh, not only regionally, but from the state as well as the federal government. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I always think about here in southeast Michigan is the proximity, of course, to water and the proximity of the city of Detroit to water. I mean, we sit on a strait that we call the Detroit River that connects uh, Lake St. Clair to uh, uh, Lake Erie, I think, uh, on, on the south. <laughs> I think I've got my geography right there. Um, talk about what kinds of fears we might have about that river. How come we don't we don't worry about that river, for instance, cresting over and flooding into Detroit and Windsor and causing some of the things that we see in other places that are that are waterfronts? Well, we are concerned about the river. We are concerned about um, uh, things that would happen on the river. But what we found from our experiences from inclement weather, um, if, in fact, there are strong winds that could produce power outages and, um, for example, the floods of 2014, um, I heard you talking about it earlier. Mm-hmm. We had, we call that a 100-year rain, where we had over six inches of rain in one hour. And that's a tremendous amount of water to go through our infrastructure. Our infrastructure is not designed to handle that much water at, uh, at one given time. And that particular flooding uh, produced a tremendous amount of uh, need of, uh, of resources. Uh-huh. But we do plan uh, with the, uh, the city of Detroit's Homeland Security and Emergency Management 
as well as in St. Clair and Macomb County for St. Clair, uh, Lake St. Clair, as well as the Detroit River. We do have plans in place, and we actually exercise these plans, Stephen. We work closely with the, uh, the Coast Guard and other first uh, responders that, uh, that have primary jurisdiction for the Detroit River. Yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Tad Sturdivant. He is Wayne County Director of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. Also with us is Chief Greg Flynn of the West Bloomfield Fire Department. We are talking about uh, weather events, uh, extreme weather events, and the consequences that come from them. Uh, think of what we're seeing in Houston this week, uh, the aftermath of Hurricane Harvey, the devastation that storm has caused in that region. Then think about the things that we see here in southeast Michigan, the intense storms that we've had in recent years and the flooding that they have caused, either because of the storms themselves, the amount of rain that they dump on our region, or because of the infrastructure that we have, its age, its inability to do its job at 100% anymore. What do you think of, about these things? Do you think we are prepared here in Southeast Michigan for the rise of intense storms? Are we prepared for the kind of flooding that we are starting to see all around this region when those storms happen? Think about the flooding we saw this week uh, caused by a power outage that prevented a pump from doing its job. What do you think we need to do to be more prepared? Would you pay more in taxes, for instance, to make sure that our infrastructure is up to snuff in a, a more efficient and effective way? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today uh, will work you into the conversation. Uh, Greg and uh, Tad, I want to I, I ask you both before we end this segment, I want to ask you about the things you think we need to do to be better prepared here in Southeast Michigan. I think everybody agrees we're seeing an, an increase in frequency of storms, of really heavy storms. We're seeing an increase in the intensity of those storms. Uh, all, both of those factors drive your work in a way that uh, they probably didn't just a few years ago. What are we not? What are we not getting quite yet in terms of what needs to change in terms of our preparedness? Uh, Chief Flynn, I'll start with you. We well, we need to make sure that we have uh, good communications with our with our residents within within each of our communities. You know, whether you're leveraging uh, the Nixle system that uh, are typically live. Uh, uh, communication uh, threads that will come right from your local communication center, your 911 center, talks about road closures, where flooding is, and you can even sign up for that and get surrounding community Nixle alerts. So you know if you're leaving West Bloomfield going into Farmington Hills and there's an issue there, you're going to be getting those Nixle alerts as well. Pay, paying attention to, uh, you know, Twitter and Facebook, social media sites where your your first responders are going to be getting information to you ahead of time because the best thing we can do, Stephen, is be prepared. Uh, we don't want to wait for those emergencies. Uh, both the director and I want to prevent those calls for help and minimize uh, the community risk. So having go bags ready when inclement weather is, is coming near, if you think that's a flood, then we probably should have your portable charger for your phone, uh, some plastic bags to keep things dry. Don't forget about your pets. 
some extra dog food or cat food for them. Um, making sure that uh, all of your valuables that people don't want to leave behind are, are stored safely. So if water's the threat, then get those most valuable things uh, safely stored higher off the floor in your basement. So if you do take on some water, your loss is minimized. Those are the things that we depend on our residents to do yeah. uh, to help keep our community safe along with the first responders. Yeah. Tad Sturdivant, uh, Wayne County Director of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. What, what, what are we not getting right? First of all, um, my former career, I was a first responder as a Director of Homeland Security Emergency Management. Uh, we're not first responding agencies. Sure. Our CEO of Wayne County, uh, whole career was a first responder. and mm -hmm. He demands that uh, we have plans to um, to respond to these type of things. Natural disasters or uh, inclement weather, they're very difficult to plan for because there are no two storms that are identically. So my job or Homeland Security Emergency Management's job is to plan for emergencies, be able to mitigate uh, the particular uh, emergency, and to be able to respond and recover to those things. So those are four different areas yeah. that we utilize. One of the big things, uh, Stephen, that we do and that we always um, do more of, and that is training and exercising. It is important and critical that we know from emergency management who are the first responders, who are the decision makers, who are the people that will respond to an incident to help with resources, and you never want to meet those people during, for the first right. time during, right. an during an emergency. So therefore, we have we plan and we exercise. So we work with the U.S. Coast Guard. We work with first responders. When we activate our emergency operating center, those individuals, law enforcement, okay. uh, DPS units, they all come to our emergency center so that we can coordinate. Ted, we're going to have to we're going to have to make that the last word. Ted Sturdivant, director of the Wayne County Homeland Security and Emergency Management Department, also Chief Greg Flynn of the West Bloomfield Fire Department. Thank you both for being here on Detroit Today. Thank you. All right, up next, we're going to talk with U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow about emergency planning, Harvey, the environment, and the Great Lakes. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Senator Debbie Stabenow is in Michigan this week talking about workforce training and development, but she will return to Washington soon and be thrown into intense budget negotiations in Congress. In those budget deals hang two funding mechanisms critical to our conversation today. The first is potential emergency assistance for areas that were hard hit by Hurricane Harvey. The next is whether and how to fund efforts to restore and maintain the health of the Great Lakes. Senator Stabenow, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning, Stephen. It's always great to be with you. Yes, it's nice to hear your voice as well. Uh, let's start with uh, the funding for Hurricane Harvey. I saw uh, a, a colleague of yours, Senator Ted Cruz, in the last few days come out and complain about emergency funding for disasters like this. He criticized the funding that went to the area hit by Hurricane Sandy on the East Coast, saying that a lot of that money got wasted, got wasted on other things. Now, there's been a lot of pushback to Senator Cruz 
about that, including from New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, who said that was just an outright lie. But it, I think it gives you some sense of the kind of criticism and difficulty you might face uh, getting money together to, to make sure that people in Houston are all right. Well, Stephen, let me first say that obviously this is a horrendous circumstance and you, you know, our hearts go out to everyone that we're seeing who's struggling with this, um, parents and babies and seniors, and it's just going to be a long haul for them, uh, people losing their homes and, and uh, businesses and, and so on. Uh, and it is a time when we should always be coming together as a country. I mean, these kinds of things that happen beyond people's control are what cause us to come together through FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management uh, Funding Mechanism, to get people uh, help in life-saving circumstances. And um, I watched Senator Cruz, and not only uh, did he not support help for uh, Sandy uh, and what happened on the East Coast, mm-hmm. but he actively opposed help for Flint, yes. both senators That's in right. Texas. He did. A- actively opposed help for 100,000 people whose entire water system was shut down and were poisoned. And so, um, I, you know, that's just a very disappointing and concerning thing. Uh, and now I'm sure they're going to want help for the people in Texas, and uh, I certainly would support that. Yeah. As Americans, now we have to, and that's part of what we need to have a country. But... Uh, Oh, I think we're losing you there, Senator. Uh, I think maybe you're you're moving or traveling and uh, coming in and out of of uh, reception there. So we're gonna try to we're gonna try to get back to Senator Stabenow. Meantime, let's take a few calls. If you want to talk about uh, extreme weather events, infrastructure preparedness, the things that we do to make sure that we're good on that front, give us a call three one three five seven seven. 1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Jim in uh, Gross Point Woods. Jim, welcome to Detroit Today. Yes, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Can you hear me all right? Uh-huh. I sure can. Yes, uh, I'm a retired geologist, and I just moved to... Uh, the Detroit area from Houston, Texas. Uh, I went through Rita. I went through, uh, which wasn't much to go through, went through Ike, and I volunteered in the George R. Brown Convention Center for Katrina. So I've been glued to uh, the radio and the computer, uh, checking out the status of my friends and also calling there. Uh, But uh, what I've been... uh, sort of working with since I've been back. Uh, I'm a, uh, a volunteer with Citizens Climate Lobby is uh, trying to get local preparation uh, for climate change in the Detroit area. I've worked with uh, uh, the Detroit Climate Action Collaborative. Uh, I'm also working with uh, the NAACP and other organizations. We're uh, trying to get a panel discussion on October 5th for uh, mayoral and uh, city council at large candidates. Uh, The theme is moving Detroit forward, advancing uh, environmental justice in a changing climate. We want to get 
not only the candidates and the mayor and the present city council to be thinking about climate change, but also to get the population to, to think about this. We can't just, uh, you know, plan for the 100-year storm. The, the last 100 years is not going to be the same as the next 100 years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Jim, thanks very much for the call and the comments. Uh, I believe we have uh, Senator Debbie Stabenow back on the line with us. Uh, are you there, I, <laughs> I am. I'm so sorry. Uh, yeah. I'm demonstrating as I drive across Michigan the need for high-speed internet. Broadband. <laughs> right. right. Uh, better uh, better yes, technology, yes. right? Uh, you but, know, I, if I might, though, go ahead. Stephen, I want to just piggyback on uh, the caller uh, it, because it, be, it, that was just speaking because I, I, it raises something I was going to raise, which is uh, this is a moment to talk about what is really happening with our weather and our climate. And, you know, I would encourage you and I, I'm, I am deeply disappointed so far nationally on the national press, we've not seen people tying it together at a moment when everyone's watching uh, flood levels, rain levels, uh, things we have never seen. And yet it is explainable in the sense that the oceans are getting warmer, the interactions with the air, the, uh, you know, the, the climate is changes. We will always have hurricanes, we will always have rain, but our scientists will tell us that the severity of it is what we are seeing that is changing. And it's so we're now seeing catastrophic situations where in the past it would have been bad, but not catastrophic. And that's directly related to what is happening in terms of the climate. And it is an existential threat to all of us. And we need to be addressing it through clean energy technologies and energy efficiencies and and, you know, uh, changing the way we're doing things, because otherwise we're going to see more and more of this. Right. Uh, Before I let you go, Senator, I also want to get you to talk about Great Lakes funding. The president in his budget proposal wiped it out entirely. Uh, The Senate put it back and put it back, not just not just uh, to, you know, half the level it was before or three quarters, they put all of it back, which I thought was a pretty strong statement of pushback against the president. But there's still a negotiation that has to take place with the House. And then you got to get the president to sign the bill. Are we still yeah. in the position where we're going to have to fight real hard to keep that funding in place? Well, we've been fighting very hard and have been successful to this point. We won't know until it's all done in the fall. Um, and it, we're not sure exactly whether they're going to do a short-term funding bill for the whole budget or a longer, a year-long bill. So this may go on for a while. But people rose up. I thank everybody for coming to my website and telling their Great Lakes story and emailing and calling. And we have put together a, a strong bipartisan coalition. You know, we I have a Great Lakes task force in the Senate, the bipartisan that I co-chair with Rob Portman. We have one in the House. So. Everybody that cares about the Great Lakes and understands that in the House and Senate have been working together, and we basically said no. You, you know, there's $300 million that's supposed to go in that fund every year to protect the Great Lakes and deal with things like fighting Asian carp, and we need all of that to happen because the threats continue. And, um, and knock on wood, I mean, at this point, we're in good shape, but we won't know till it's done. So I encourage everybody to continue to speak out and email and and make phone calls. Yeah. 
Okay. Senator Debbie Stabenow, as always, thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. My pleasure. Take care. We'll speak to you soon. Up next, we're going to talk about how climate change plays into our conversation about major weather events like Harvey. Is it about climate change? Uh, We have an associate editor of The Atlantic with us next to talk about whether that's so or whether it's something else. Stay with us and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. We'll be right back on Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day. Every day. Every day. On 1019 WDET. Detroit's public radio station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We're talking all this hour about major weather events like Harvey, which has left communities all along the western Gulf Coast devastated with flooding. We talked earlier about the 2014 floods here in Metro Detroit that caused major damage to homes and property. We could list one major weather event after another going back several years that all seemed bigger and worse than the one before it. It's hard not to wonder how much climate change has to do with the frequency and the intensity of these storms and the destruction they are leaving behind. Is there any way to figure out what effect global climate change has on these events. What does it mean for the future if that trend if that trend continues to get worse and the storms get bigger and stronger? Joining us now to talk about that is Dave Rosenthal. He is the managing editor of Great Lakes Today, a collaboration of public media stations that is led by WBFO Buffalo, where he is based. Dave, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stevens. Thanks for having me on the show. And in a little bit, we'll be joined by Rob Meyer, who is the associate editor of The Atlantic, which recently wrote about how climate change intensifies storms like Harvey. And of course, we want to hear from you. What do you think about the role that climate change is playing here? Is that the reason we're seeing more intense storms? Think about the storms we have here in southeast Michigan. This summer was a really great example of that the frequency of the storms, the amount of lightning that we see from those storms, the amount of rain that falls from the skies. Uh, Do you think that climate change is one of the things that's driving that? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put your comments there, or you could go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Uh, Dave Rosenthal, let's start with the big question put to you. Is this about climate change? And if it is, how do we, how do we prove that? Uh, I think there's pretty wide agreement that their climate change is one of the biggest impacts is frequency of storms and the intensity of storms. And it has a lot of um, implications for the Great Lakes. Uh, I'll give you two right off the top. One is that, as one of your previous guests talked about at the top of the show, there's a lot of um, old sewage uh, treatment facilities around the Great Lakes Mm -hmm. in cities like Detroit, Buffalo, Cleveland. All these cities that grew up years ago have these old infrastructure. And in a lot of these cities, 
uh, almost all the cities basically, when a big storm occurs, the stormwater mixes in the same pipes with the sewage that's coming out of homes and right. businesses. And when uh, a big storm occurs, the sewage treatment plants can't handle all the water. So what happens is millions of gallons of untreated sewage or lightly treated sewage runs into the lakes. Um, in Detroit, for example, in this summer, there was one rainstorm in which 7 million gallons f f went right into the rivers around the city, another one where 6 million gallons went in, another where 3 million gallons went in. So it happens a lot. It's not just something that happens just uh, once a year. This is something that happens three or four times or five times in the, a summer month. So that's a that's a huge problem sure. um, all around Detroit and all around the big cities in the Great Lakes region. Uh, a related problem is that when you have big storms, it can take a lot of the fertilizer and r push it off fields into the streams and rivers that connect to the Great Lakes. So you have a lot of this fertilizer running off and contributing to toxic algae blooms, especially in Lake Erie, the western part of Lake Erie, which hits on um, Ohio, a little bit of Pennsylvania possibly, but mainly Ohio, uh, Michigan are affected by that. So those are two really big problems uh -huh. brought about by these intense storms. Yeah. And as the frequency increases, the problems are going to get uh, worse. Uh, Rob Meyer is now with us. He's the associate editor of The Atlantic. Recently wrote about how climate change intensifies storms like Harvey. Uh, in your article, Rob, you talk about how man-made climate change can't account for any one particular storm, but it's attributable to the intensity and duration of these storms. Uh, talk about how that works and, and what we're seeing that proves that to be true. So, as you said, you know, you get a climate scientist on the phone and you ask them about an individual weather event and they'll always start saying, well, you know, the climate is the sum of all weather events. We can't talk about one individual weather event um, specifically yet, although some teams of climate scientists are getting very good at kind of identifying whether a heat wave might have happened in a, in a kind of a normal climate, a non-warmed climate. Um, we're not quite there on hurricanes yet, but we, we can say that certain aspects of what Harvey did and certain ways that Harvey acted um, sure seem to reflect symptoms of climate change. And so while we can't say that Harvey uh, is definitely like, was definitely a different storm, um, we can say that there are things that, there are ideas that climate scientists have written about for years that uh, then were reflected in Harvey. And so one of them is uh, the fact that it intensified so quickly. And so between Wednesday night of last week and Friday night when it made landfall, um, it intensified from being a tropical storm to being a category four hurricane. And that was actually like both much faster and much, uh, much more stronger intensification than was expected. It was only expected to maybe reach category three. Um, and that's because as it progressed toward the, toward land, you know, normally hurricanes um, they're quite windy. It's, so hurricanes feed on warm sea surface temperatures. And normally they're quite windy and they churn up a lot of the ocean as they get stronger. And that actually kind of dampens them because as they move the ocean, they bring up colder water from the bottom um, or from, from deeper below. And that kind of serves to dampen their strength. But as Harvey uh, strengthened, it 
did churn up water from 100 or 200 meters down uh, beneath the sea surface, but that water was also warm. It was also unusually warm. Um, in fact, the Gulf of Mexico was uh, one of the hottest places in the ocean. Specifically, the place where Harvey was was one of the warmest places in the entire kind of global ocean mm -hmm. at the moment when Harvey was intensifying. Um, and that made it so that Harvey could continue to strengthen and continue to intensify, and there was no kind of natural damper on its strength. And so it intensified up until the moment of landfall. Um, and in fact, I think in the entire, in the last 30 years, there hasn't been a hurricane um, west of Florida that intensified uh, up until the moment of landfall like Harvey did. So, mm -hmm. so that's one way, that's one big way that um, it, it reflects this, what we would talk about as like a very traditional kind of climate hurricane signal. Sure. It's, it's very different. Um, uh, talk about, I, I want both, both of you to talk about the destruction of wetlands uh, mm -hmm. and, and the role that they play. We see some of that here in the Great Lakes. And of course, uh, I have seen maps in the last couple of days of Houston over time. The amount of pavement, for instance, was one of the maps that, that I saw uh, between, I think, 10 years ago and now. Really, really big difference. Um, uh, Ra, uh, Dave Rosenthal, talk about, talk about what we're doing with wetlands here all along the Great Lakes. Well, uh, we don't have a very good record along the Great Lakes of protecting wetlands in the past. You know, a lot of industry was built up along the shore of the lakes, uh, they didn't really care much about preserving wetlands. It was more to take in water and use in their manufacturing processes. So uh, a lot of it was industrialized. A lot of it, if it wasn't industry, there were a lot of hard barriers along the water. Um, but in recent years, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of movement to try and restore these wetlands, thanks to things like uh, the senator talked about the Great Lakes Restoration Initiative. A mm -hmm. lot of money goes into putting uh, getting rid of these hard barriers like break walls and restoring a more natural uh, wetlands, a more natural shoreland. So I think there's a lot of uh, good, a lot of good work being done right now to bring the wetlands uh, back to what they used to be before industry sort of took over all the shoreline of the lakes. Yeah, um, uh, Rob Meyer, that 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 map that I referred to about pavement in Houston, I think, is just probably one indicator of how development in that region mm -hmm. has not accelerated storms or made them more intense, but has made sort of nature's way of dealing with those storms. It sort of crippled that, right? Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. I mean, it's it's funny. There's a study coming out tomorrow that I will not uh, give away too much about, but it. It finds that wetlands prevented a ton of flooding damage um, in Sandy uh -huh. during during Superstorm Sandy, um, and and that's absolutely right about development in Houston. I mean, one of the most striking facts about how the flooding has happened, and and now why some houses in Houston will be underwater for another two to three months, is because there are big dry reservoirs in Houston that that normally look like parks. Mm -hmm. um, kind of normally look like these are the giant version of runoff ditches near the highway, um, but they are designed to hold water and to, you know, hold storm water after a large storm. Um, and there are houses in them. Like people were allowed to build <laughs> houses and businesses within these dry reservoirs kind of on the border of, of the natural parks and stuff. And so 
I mean, there's neighborhoods there, and so that's one one reason why I think this storm will be so we'll be hearing about it for so long, and why it's been. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why it's been so devastating, but its its duration will be especially long because there's just development in places where water is literally designed to go and, and be held after a storm like this. You know, people have houses there. And that's one example of how Houston's kind of very permissive uh, land use policies um, have have backfired, at least in this one case. Right. Right. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. My guests are Rob Meyer. He's an associate editor at The Atlantic. Recently wrote about how climate change intensifies storms like Hurricane Harvey. Also with us is Dave Rosenthal. He's the managing editor of Great Lakes Today, a collaboration of public media stations that's led by WBFO Buffalo, where he is based. We're talking about climate change and the effect it has on things like Hurricane Harvey. Is that one of the drivers behind these really intense storms that we see uh, in Houston, uh, the intense storms that we see around the Great Lakes? Think about southeast Michigan and other places that enjoy the lakes and thrive really from their proximity to the lakes, but increasingly are vulnerable to the volatile weather that comes off of those lakes. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Dave Rosenthal, I want to ask about uh, the lake levels here uh, on the Great Lakes. Um, are, are climate scientists concerned about those levels getting too high? I remember a few years ago, they were at record lows. Uh, they're back, I think, to their normal levels, but they're back in a really quick period of time, which might speak to the idea that uh, we'll deal with uh, levels that are too high in in not too not too long. Where are where are scientists' heads about uh, about that issue? Well, uh, the biggest problem r- this year is on Lake Ontario, which you know the easternmost Great Lake, where they've had flooding since the spring, and they the uh, shore of Lake Ontario in New York State and in Toronto area, a lot of these re- parts are still flooded um, months later. Uh, partly because heavy spring rainfalls just swelled Lake Ontario and the a dam that helps to regulate the level of the lake couldn't release too much water because you'd wind up flooding Montreal, which lies downstream on the St. Lawrence. Uh-huh. So that's one lake that uh, flooding has been horrible this year. It's been uh, also flooded in isolated areas of some other lakes, but this shows you how, you know how devastating the high levels can be. Um, I did want to mention and sort of piggyback on what Rob had said earlier about storms, and uh, this doesn't really apply to Houston at all, but it's, it'll be relevant in a few months to the Great Lakes, and that is the warming of the Great Lakes. You know, in addition to water levels, uh, scientists are really concerned about the warming, and that's a problem because if you don't have much ice cover on the lakes, right. like as we did last winter and the winter before, um, it creates lots of problems. You can have these huge snowstorms, uh, lake effect snowstorms, when the wind comes across from Canada, picks up a lot of moisture from the open lake as opposed to an iced over lake, and just dumps it on the shore 
of uh, you know the eastern end of Lake Michigan or the southern end of Lake Erie and the southern end of Lake Ontario. And so you can get storms with you know 70 inches of snow as we had last year in New York State. Uh-huh. And I think that's a that's going to be a real problem when you talk about increased number of storms. It's not just rainstorms, but it's also this horrible you know winter weather that we we can see in the future. Yeah, and so so earlier in the conversation, I talked about how along the Detroit River, for instance, we don't generally worry about flooding. There is some flooding, uh, I think I believe, off Lake Saint Clair, which connects in to the to the river, but. The, I, I can't ever remember the river itself posing that threat. Is that something that in the future or the near future we'll have to we'll have to be concerned with? Yeah, I'm not. I'm you know not familiar enough with that river to know how it's built along the sides to c- control the flooding. But certainly, all you know, the water from the Lake Superior flows down eventually to Detroit and passes Detroit on its way out. Um, so there, all the lakes are connected. So if if the lakes are rising, that would mean that the river is going to be rising too eventually. And if you, it is something I think they would have to be concerned with to make sure that their flood control measures are up to date and ready to take on you know bigger storms, um, higher lake levels, that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's take a quick call here before we end. Adele in Dearborn, welcome to Detroit Today. Adele, I've got about a minute left, but I wanted to get you on. All right. Um, first off, climate change is absolutely related to these increased storms we're experiencing. And one of the drivers behind climate change is capitalism and the relentless drive for profit to refine as many fossil fuels possible while they're still mm-hmm. profitable. Sure. I wanted to harken back to your um, discussion yeah. about Adele, we've got about There's no private market for flood insurance because it's not profitable. Right. Capitalism cannot and will not serve our basic human needs. Okay. Adele, thanks so, very much for the for the comment. If, if Rob or Dave, if you have a quick thought about flood insurance and the difficulty that people have getting it, we've got about 20 seconds left. Well, I mean, I think the flood insurance program is this interesting example of where Congress decided that we should, you know, uh, share the risk of having building houses on the coastline and, mm-hmm. and that, that that risk should be socialized to the public government. Um, I think as we go forward, it's not clear that the government, that Congress from any part of the yeah, country except on the is... coast will want to continue to make that investment. Okay. Um, Rob Meyer. Interesting example of socialized risk. Yeah. Rob Meyer, Associate Editor of The Atlantic. Dave Rosenthal, Managing Editor of Great Lakes Today. Thanks for being here on Detroit Today. That's going to do it for me. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station. See you tomorrow.